0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Identity Podcast. As always, every single Wednesday at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time, we premiere an episode for the Identity Podcast, and we're so grateful to be here, as always. Of course, I am Caleb, one of your co-hosts, and with my fellow and lovely co-host, Tarek, it is a just a wonderful time as we welcome none other than Justin Connor for the silver screen right here the the actor, the filmmaker, the director, an incredible, incredible uh, person we're so grateful to have on the show. And so we're very, very excited uh, to welcome him. Of course, don't forget the Identity Podcast is presented to you by Find Your ID NYC. And don't forget to go ahead and check them out on all social media platforms and check out the Identity Podcast on all streaming platforms and on all social media platforms. Of course, if you love the Identity Podcast and want to sponsor us, well, guess what? You can email us at press at nyc.com and we'll get back to you with more details from there. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon page and our Discord page, all at the Identity Podcast. Well, again, welcome, Justin, to the show. We're so grateful to have you. Uh, we can't wait to start beginning and, and discussing everything for your show. So how are you?
1: Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Of course. Well, here we are. So of course, just as, as we kind of begin, and again, thank you for coming on to the show and everything. We're so grateful to have you, but um, let's, let's kind of start off with your journey, kind of where you've come from and, and where you've been able to lead
1: today. Sure. Yeah. I grew up uh, back East, uh, just outside of Boston and went to college out here in California and was leaning on going to law school and ended up uh, deciding to pursue a career in acting. So came out to Hollywood and started doing that for a while. And then started getting into music and released an album and figured what I was going to do on the next project and always wanted to direct and write something and uh felt like uh some of the story of my own past felt like a good story to share as a feature film so started writing that that in conjunction with um the next album and tried to see if I could pull off making kind of a musical rockumentary um about um a musician who was kind of falling out of the limelight and confronting some of his chaotic past to make room for his devotional future. So that's kind of how the golden age came
2: about. What a beautiful summation. (laughs) I I don't even know if the trailer got it that succinct. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, definitely check out all of our viewers. I'm I'm happy to see you guys. I hope you made it safe. Everything's been great with you guys, but definitely check out his documentary. It definitely um, sheds light on a lot of parts of his life. But as we delve deeper into this, I'm just curious, man, um, have you always been this retrospective? Like, even in your journey, have you been, like, looking back and always been soul-searching? I know, like, there was one particular point in your life that it was just like, all right, we're soul-searching. There's something else going on that I need to figure out about myself. But have you always been very introspective, even as a child? Or
1: uh, Yeah, I guess so. I think um – I think work emanated from more than most i think a lot of actors or a lot of artists in general have you know some kind of fractured past a little bit that they've kind of trying to repiece together by creating or um so i think it was an element of wanting to not only transparently reveal some of my own wounds as a surviving some of you know i grew up with an alcoholic father and it was pretty challenging He was a little abusive physically emotionally and, so I think it was more about wanting to tell a story of survival, given that you know there's so many people out there that are starting to become more cognizant of the effects of that and being more transparent about trying to heal from it. So I think it was less retrospective and more, it was I was finding difficulty moving forward in sort of a um, a peaceful light if I hadn't addressed some of these things. So you know in Hollywood. You know, you go on these shows and it's fun as an actor to like, you know, play these dramatic roles, or somebody with a gun or a love story and all that. And that there's nothing wrong with that. It's all beautiful, but I felt that I needed to address some of my own story. And I, I think part of the reason of wanting to direct was telling a story of more substance or telling a story that was maybe even more related to so many people's plight and path. So I felt like I needed to address this in order to move on. In my own life as well as seeing so many people i knew that had been through the same that maybe weren't as crazy to um <laughs> take on a film and do the same for their own i'm finding it's healing a lot of people that have um that have been through the same if that makes sense
2: yeah i definitely i definitely feel that i mean i just with my own troubled past i, I understand what it means to be an artist it's almost like we are finding ways to communicate with humanity in a way that's i guess artistic in a sense um and creative but uh uh, what i was gonna say was um has your music changed since you've been able to do this and also uh, a bigger question was music always a therapy for you before you were able to use um your acting outlet as a therapy
1: um that's funny because i as a kid i played music a little bit on piano but it was funny like yeah, I didn't really start playing music again until I came to LA and it was like, there was a lot of downtime between auditions. So I'm like, I bought a piano and just started picking it up again. So it was kind of like, it was almost, it was almost like there were so many impediments to getting out or to being, you know, there's a lot of down downtime between auditions and acting gigs. So I just kind of picked it up. And then I released this first album I wrote called Kelly Uge and, and the music is just so fun because it's so autonomous, you know, you're not waiting on someone else. So, it kind of happened by mistake, really. And then when I was coming it was coming time to make the second album, uh, and I started trying to figure out how I could piece this together with the script, I tried to think, is there a way to sing songs that help tell the story like a pivotal scene um, and, and sing them but not lip sync them? And that was, you know one of the rules of this film is everything you see in it is live. So I wanted the songs to help tell the story as if it was like a pivotal scene between, you know actors and such and um so i you know now it's you know my friends who know me are like gosh keep doing music you know like screw this acting thing and part of me is like well i love acting so i don't know where i'm headed next but music is so freeing because it's sort of like how we all communicate and i think it has potential to really like unearth a lot of healing and a lot of like um collective vibration just by like you know digging into a tune that tries to dip into that whole collective consciousness of not only our own wounds or what we're struggling and, struggling with, but kind of the madness of this age. So, you know, it's definitely become part of my directive that I don't think I'll ever let go of it, but it kind of happened by mistake in some strange way.
2: Yeah, that's funny. It's almost like do it live. <laughs> that's kind of like you yeah. know you do all this transcendental meditation, and it's just like do it live. You're like, well, I could have got that from Nike, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I really do see that as something to to see. It's very human. That's what I was gonna uh, talk about as far as the film and your music. It has a lot of breath to it. You know, it doesn't seem mechanical. It doesn't seem like a score. I was actually talking to Caleb about this. I was like, you know, it's interesting. When you're scoring something, it's not the same as writing an album. I mean, would you oh. say it's kind of the same? or?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I don't even think it matters what medium on some level. It's like when you're an artist, it doesn't matter whether you're painting or acting or doing music. For me, it's like that was the vehicle for this one. But, I, yeah, I guess I had to write it as an album first and foremost. But then I had to write it as an album that fit in context of telling a story within the film. And I did still score the film as well. So there's like a score to it. But it was like the songs had to be their own album in itself on its own right, but at the same time help tell this story. And I had to perform them in the film live, which was hard. And I had to portray that I was like this pop star who fell out of the limelight. So it was like, there was a lot of pressure actually, to not only know where I was in the film while I was singing them, but also convey or or, um, suspend the disbelief that I was, you know, this guy, Maya O'Malley, which is sort of like, Uh, you know, like a dissertation on fame. I feel, you know, a lot of people think like, oh, it's a documentary or a rockumentary or how much of this on your life is real versus fake. And, you know, for me, it's sort of like, I look at the golden age like a comedy, but it's like, a, but not for laughs, you know, it's sort of a satire on like pop stars and fame and people trying to put together their fractured past and going through their drug phases and trying to put the pieces back together. So if, you know, there's an element of, you know, I think for a while I was craving this like adulation as most artists do. But then I I think on some level, I I was kind of hedging my bets to do like kind of a long, slow, steady, you know, uh, playing the long game of fame a little bit in terms of, because I've seen so many people that have had a lot of success and had looked like they're going equally as crazy as those that were craving the very thing that they were trying to attain. Mm -hmm. So so I just kind of wanted to keep it all in perspective and say that it doesn't matter where you are, or where you hope to be, that sometimes the madness of this age is inescapable. So I wanted to kind of have a little bit of a satirical laugh, wink, wink with the audience about fame and even our own wounds, you know? I mean, it's kind of a mirage when we look at all these things that we go through. It seems like, oh, these perceived oppressors are knocking us down. But sometimes that pain and that that um, getting set back or getting... Smashed a little bit is really sometimes our greatest benediction. So I was trying to celebrate that, but at the same time, walking that fine line between satire, but also not trying to take it with any kind of comedic, like, um, lightheartedness. I really wanted to play it as as real as possible because these wounds were real, and I know survivors of this madness are always struggling with these things. I don't think they ever go away. So I wanted to treat them with kid gloves and be very present with them as well. So. Yeah, I think that's kind of where it came about.
2: Yeah, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And especially for all those that have maybe not expressed, um, that probably watch our show and that are just listening to Justin, that may listen to this in the future, you know, just let you know that we are here, you know, as artists, we're all here for each other in that sense. But isn't it, isn't it so ironic that um, as entertainers, we play this make-believe world with such realistic things, you know, that we're dealing oh. with. And I think, I think you've, um, it's almost like the human experience is this this play that we're in. And part of it is tragedy, part of it has this melancholy and, and all these things that we kind of go through on a daily basis. So I thought that was very interesting. And I, I, I do feel like, you know, taking the air out of the idea of a pop star or like some sort of celebrity and taking the, uh, the seriousness of it um, and severity of certain things out of it does bring that satire because it's someone's livelihood if they get casted in. A role whether it's comedy or whatever it is it's like their whole life is changed by these roles and i was an actor for a bit uh, at a time and i know what it's like that downtime is it's it can be brutal if you're not occupying your time with something that's um sustainable for sure
1: yeah and i think you know caleb and i were talking about this earlier you know the irony at the identity podcast but you know this whole idea of identity is it's like you know we were it's just so funny to me like you mentioned about a stage play like this whole thing is like a stage play like we're our parents sons and then we have lovers and friends and it's it, it's like this grand stage play maybe there was an element of wanting to make this film that blurred the line between fiction and reality a little bit because I kind of got dismayed or or wasn't fed enough when I was just doing acting it's like it's fun to see, stand on a piece of tape and work with another actor and try to get really real with someone else's words. And I I know it's like a, one of the most beautiful like forms of creativity in terms of when you're really transcending a moment that it almost supersedes whatever we conjure. or think reality is in and of itself. So I don't want to like poo poo in any sense, but there was an element that I wanted to go a little bit deeper because there's like a I think there's a gray area now since we all know what's real and what's fake in a different context now that everyone's got these cameras and phones that I wanted to uh, do something of substance that kind of had a poking fun at this mirage of playing pretend. And I think maybe that's a little bit of an element of vibe gravitated more towards music than, than stepped away from acting a little bit because it is such pretend, you know, and it's it's funny how we revel in society, these people that play pretend really well and at the same time I champion that skill set cuz it's not easy to do that when there's a bunch of lights and you got to knock it out and I've been in that same position but if I didn't do something of a, of a substantive nature that helped to heal myself and help others in a collective light it it just kind of felt empty after a while so so I think it's important to um to see the grand like mirage of our own identity and 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 even film in itself it's like it's almost like the whole thing is a big lie. You know, I can't remember who said the quote, but it was something like art is the, and is exaggeration of the truth, you know? So it's, it's like we're all playing with this idea of if you get lost in a film, you believe it, but it's like, Oh, I saw that person in that film. You know, it's like, you kind of like are going along for the ride, but it's not real enough for me sometimes. So I almost think like it would be more interesting to see people like do, or if they're crazy enough to do like a, you know, 10 year project like this and, and and really tell their story so you can really get into the meat and potatoes of like how real it is and for their story versus like how well they can play pretend and you hopefully disappear within it you know because it all seems like a funny stage play this whole (laughs) yeah
2: right i agree man i agree so um i i guess what i was gonna say was uh just that just to ask you man like what what kind of inspired you um, to realize that, that that pain was there, I guess um, if, I, if I could like, was there any triggers? Was it just the, the apathy that you were experiencing that you kind of just described or what kind I of think, got you to, to even start writing?
1: Well, <clears throat> I think sometimes these wounds or these traumas catch up with you later in life, even you, even though you know how deeply they hit you along the way. And um for me it was like <clears throat> i just felt like there was it was like a really crazy youth <laughs> like i'm not really sure how i'm sitting before you like to be honest with you like alive like it was it was wild and i only could get into it into a brief kind of outline-esque way in the film whereas with the book i get a little bit more honest with it but it lasted for years if not decades and so as a kid that has an imprint on you and i um <clears throat> And I just had to really get honest with it. Um, and I think what happened, how it all started was I knew that this stuff was percolating. And I remember seeing some super eight films of me as a child that my mom had shared with me before she passed away. And I was like, ooh, this could have the inklings of, you know, you know, what happens to us when we're like those innocent kids to where we are now? And how do we bury some of those wounds or come to terms with them? So. I, 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 it was, it was, it was, it was very tough and it's been tough since I released it because I have, you know, you're constantly, um, swimming in these circles of <clears throat> old trauma, but I had to, uh, I just had to confront that beast. Cause I felt like if I hadn't <clears throat> a lot of my life and relationships and such, it would have just been like spiraling the fact that I was still wounded by the stuff and I didn't come to terms with it in no a more, um, like a healthy sense. So. So I know that, you know, I met a lot of people. It was crazy, about when I released it, a lot of people come up to me or have hit me up on social media or emails or whatever and said, oh my God, I had a very similar youth or my dad left when I was four and I haven't been able to stay in relationships my whole life. And it was, it's been really good to see how it's affected other people's tumultuous past without it getting in the way of their own story, but allowing them to heal their own story through the golden age. So I thought that was... I think the more we get transparent about how fragile we are from these topsy-turvy lives with many, which many of us have had, it allows us to um, have a more honest conversation with ourselves. So they're not as plagued by them or they're not as heavy, even if they never go away, we just sort of learn to develop a different relationship with them. So -hmm. I think that was part of it for me.
2: Yeah, I thought thought that was brilliant. (laughs) I think that's a great way to, to respond to it, man. Um, I hope we don't bury it, because sometimes, like you said, it can unearth in a very different way. And I, I don't mean to ever um, trigger you by bringing back that, but that's that's kind of where my question was, Is as, at least for our artists that are interested in kind of transcending either whatever art form they're in right now, or even just thinking about telling their story and in some sort of written path. Um, it's. I'm curious to see. Like, are, are you interested in ever like watching your your film again, or is it kind of like that scene uh, for Minority Report when he's just like, "No," <laughs> he's just like scrolling <laughs> back. Like, right. to see this again. You know, I'm, I'm curious. Is it once you develop a better relationship, have you been able to see it with a more adult light? I think one of our earlier guests mentioned this about children. Um, she's a life coach, hmm. and uh, she's, she mentioned that uh, children see things in absolutes. And I think that's kind of what we experience when we have traumas that are so early. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, it brings the it brings the uh, structure of the you know mother, father, all these things that are like okay, this is what this should be. You're just finally like kind uh, kind of becoming tangible to life, and you finally mm-hmm. understanding what this feels like and this. And as you're doing that, you're coming to all things that are solid. You realize that there's a gray area that is, and that is life. You know, so I'm curious, like. Have you been able to revisit it? Do you watch it often, or
1: I don't and, watch it just because after you I, cut I can a film,
2: my own work. Too, so I'm, I'm just curious.
1: Not just that, I think like you know, after you, you know, I, I really worked on the editing and the editing process to make sure like everything, you know, just frames, like just to make sure. Uh, one of you said, or like there was a lot of breath in the film, or it like went at a certain pace, and I think like in this generation, everything's so fast, like even commercials or social media stuff or even feature films now are cut so quick and it's like there's an element of the films that I grew up idolizing and the filmmakers you know they kind of like cut their films at a pace that fit them even if no one else understood it so I don't really revisit it just because I've watched it so many times and I'm sure I probably will like in it I don't know down the road But, um, and maybe that's part and parcel because I've been working on the book a lot, which goes a lot deeper. Because one thing I realized with the film is you can only tell, you can only really speak in broad strokes. So I was Mm -hmm. able to tell the story, but I couldn't really get deep into it in the way you can in a hundred minutes versus like two or 300 page book. So, so yeah, I think, um, I think for others that are, you know, maybe looking to express something that's of a personal light, I think that's kind of where we're headed just because everything seems so disposable now that in a feature film length or even social media is everything that we're entertaining ourselves with music it's like like the 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 themes and the tones and the substance of what's being talked about seems to be lacking of a certain substance so I think whoever is looking to do something of a similar light or for myself on this I wanted to just be really honest and present and and not be afraid to trust myself and i think that's one of the things that comes up when we've survived trauma is that inability to trust ourselves so you know i really you know like there was one scene in the film and for those who have seen it I, I won't ruin it for you but there's a scene that I, where i'm talking in the in the kitchen about a situation i have with my father and a drunk driving episode. And people watch it were like, dude, it's like a seven, eight minute scene. You can't just leave it in there. I'm like, no, we gotta leave it in there as one take because you never see something that's unfiltered, that's not cut away from. And it's it's like if 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 Maya wins you over after the scene, you're going with them for the ride for the rest of the film. A lot of people are like, No, do jump cuts and make it shorter and make it like two minutes. I'm like, no, dude, I don't want to do that shit because I want to make it really real. Where as everything's so fast now is it's like I think the fun thing about filmmaking and editing and maybe why i haven't watched in a while is it really slows you down not to like um not to like um manipulate the audience by any stretch of the imagination but everything's moving so fast now all these and god bless you guys at the podcast and like so many podcasts and like social media and like the news and youtube and sometimes i just can't keep up with it by the time 5 p.m rolls around i'm like jesus christ what the hell just happened but I wanted to slow it down because that pace allows us to like slow our breath down and slow our thoughts down and really take something in that needs to be told in a certain tempo instead of just rushing to get it out there. So they don't go to the next thing, you know? So uh, for me, it was a lot about tone. And so I haven't watched it in a while because I know when I watch it, it's going to slow me down to really get involved with it. And I think that's what, people have related to on some level with the film is that it's at a different pace than a lot of media that we see these days. And that, that in itself can be confronting because you're asking them to go along with you for, to drive to the store at 10 miles per hour instead of like rushing there at 35, you know, Mm.
0: you know, I, uh, I actually, I really felt like I was kind of able to resonate throughout times of this film. And I'm sure that there are others as well. And I know you kind of touched on it, Justin, Um, as someone who also had um, not really a father figure in my life for a a long time. um, It it definitely, there were moments where I couldn't relate to you, but there were moments where I could relate to you and I could relate to um, not having that figure, not having that role model or having Bad memories of different things as well, and um, I, something I, I will say that scene specifically in the kitchen scene, I that was the scene the first time around that really hooked me. That was the scene that really was like, okay, now this is this is really something because I recognize that, huh? I could watch a similar film to this, but that scene may be cut differently, right? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. maybe scripted differently. Maybe maybe it's more along the lines to where you are just, you know, Justin, you, you went for it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Mile O'Malley is going for it and he is speaking what exactly happened while an actor um, maybe, another actor maybe, may refrain, right? Yeah, or or may, maybe or the may script only yeah. shows so much
1: or portray it or like act it out. And it's funny that you're mentioning this because that scene mm-hmm. switches tone so deeply. Cause up to that point, it's like, Oh, we're watching a documentary and it's like, Oh, some stuff's going on with him. Yep. Like, this guy's been through the ringer, but now it's like, okay, we're going to pull, you know, guns blazing now in terms of like, we're going to get really real and raw in a way that's uncomfortable for me in the scene, as well as for the audience. And, People think like, oh, well, this happened to you, so you're just telling your story. I'm like, well, it's a little different than that. You got a camera in your face, you got lights. And to be honest with you, I scripted that as if I were like an actor on a on a narrative film because even though I I had been through that story with my dad and it was the first time I ever told anyone about it and I was doing it on film and I did it in one take, I still had to write it out. And, and well, the way I wrote it out was to the T of how I, performed it, but it was like staying in that gray area because this couldn't be performing. So I think a lot of this film for me, and the films that really I respond to now, and I think this is where I hope filmmaking goes, but who knows, because it's it's like almost a different form of acting style where it's like a beingness that transcends um, portrayal or performance while at the same time blurs the line between like, is this real or what? Because, and you know, a lot of people see it. They're like, well, you're just telling your story about what happened with your dad. I'm like, no, dude, I scripted this out. The dot, dot, dots, the, the pauses, the this, because I knew that this had to sell. So I was like working on it for weeks that month, because I was like, I want to sell this by not selling what I wrote, by selling it by like, this is the absolute, this is the most truthful thing I can say about my past that fits within the narrative of this story. And how real I get with it almost determines how real I can get with the audience and how real I can heal from my own life. So I think there's like a gray area now where like performance and beingness. And that's why that was like a very tough scene for me to do because I, you know, I'm not one of these people that like, hey, I want to tell my story and show how wounded I am. But there's a certain point in life where it's like, if these, are coming up for you they're gonna they're gonna come out in the way they need to and I had to get really honest with it and something you said about like your dad and you've been through some similar pain I was thinking about the other night when I was taking a walk it's like some people have been through like outright neglect where like parents just like didn't want anything to do with them and they're affected by that in some regard but even if you've been through like some massive amounts of physical and emotional abuse, which I have, there's still that aspect of neglect because even though you went through it, it was very viscerally in your face, you still feel neglected as a result of it. So I think, I think one of the things that I really wanted to convey with this film was that shame comes up a lot around these surviving coping mechanisms of like having to go through trauma and, and how we deal with that shame is really being cognizant and present with ourselves about it's okay. I went through this, I survived it, you know, and and like really being like a cheerleader to ourselves, because like I said earlier, I don't think these wounds ever really go away. It's just like, we learn how to develop a different relationship with them. So I wanted to like reflectively say, I'm broken in a million pieces from this, but I'm I'm willing to be really honest about it to the best that I can with them, whatever talents I have as an actor musician in the hopes that A, I can heal from it and B, reflectively other people who have been through the same can take a peek at their own and see, maybe it's time for me to address this and like, you know, let go of what, of what needs to be let go of, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. See, I, I really like how you worded that, uh, especially right at the end and kind of how you described your definition of shame and, and kind of how it means to you and how you try to portray that in the film and, and try to put, put the film out there and everything with this, this kind of, Definition, this realization, this form of shame, and and I definitely feel that um, throughout the film, the Golden Age, which of course, uh, plug, check it out on Amazon Prime. Um, it's it's one of those films where really for me, it took, it took me a little bit, right? You have to, it, it's not, as you said, you know, it takes a little bit to get into it. It's not necessarily something where it's like the first five minutes I'm hooked. And Instead, you really have to, you have to watch it and you have to listen. And I feel like, uh, to be honest, I feel like that is one of the beauties of art is to be able to really kind of carry the listener, carry the viewer on a ride, right? You know, for a fact, you're not going to get them hooked right away. But you're not going to deter them right away either, right? You're right. going to kind of lead them into something and then you bring them in. And, yes. and there's a few scenes there closer to the beginning of the film that I think are really important for kind of what happens. Um, I think the, um, the first death that's kind of reflected upon in the movie, um, I'm forgetting her name, the character, yeah, Jeanette, but the, the fellow that. musician.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. She goes down. Sometimes a death from somebody triggers like our own wounds. So that's how, that was like the beginning exactly. of the second act. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and that, funny, that's something.
1: Yeah. Keep going. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on this. And uh, I know. And the, it, I, one thing while you're saying that I was thinking of is, you know, on the other side of it, in regards to this, like sometimes we don't realize like these triggers will help foster a trigger of my story got triggered or him falling out of the limelight because of something random like a friend passing away and that's how it happens but the hardest part of this whole project really that we haven't got into which is fine is like the music like I like I was trying to write like the greatest singer songwriter album of all time and I don't say that in, like oh look at me like look at my talents but it was like I had to like sell that I was one of the biggest dudes in the game and I was talking about songs that weren't like really apropos with like what's happening in pop music these days so i really had to trust that like oh i'm gonna dig back into my heroes of like dylan and the beatles and all that i'm gonna tell a substance story about a guy that's at a crossroads in his life and i had to pull that off and that was hard to do so like the songs in and of themselves were like a whole journey even beyond the film (laughs) and then filming the songs in it in relation to where i was in the film and they had to like Like you had to be as into what he was doing in front of the camera, but you also had to be into what was coming out of his mouth with these songs. And that was hard because I wasn't sure if this was going to play or people were going to buy it, you know, because this is like, people aren't singing about these themes in 2020, but, and and I'm glad, but you know, I took like a risk in that regard, but I really had to trust like people need to hear this. I need to hear this. Maybe this is where, why we're, falling apart and so consumed with being known or famous or not willing to look at our own selves it's like let's try to look at a, a greater context of this funny play of life or what does it mean to go on our devotional path or what does it mean to heal from this or forgive our perceived oppressors or so you know i had to like somehow like convince people that i was this pop star thing which was kind of fun or funny but um yeah man i just tried to be as present as possible with it you know i think when you've I think I think when you've survived this stuff or when you're most artists have gone through some like hellacious things in their lives and that's what makes their art or what they create present or different than the next. And the main thing with this whole thing was like don't don't portray anything. Don't feel like you need to convince anyone of anything. Just be as real, as honest and as transparent. Even if that means you have to show how broken you are, your wounds in front of the camera in a way that's completely uncomfortable and you may cringe after. It's like just be honest, like take one for the team because there's a lot of people out there that are suffering in the same light that don't have the guts, understandably, because of that shame and feeling of lack of self worth of going through this for so many years. I said, Well, I'm gonna, you know, I think that's why I created this like alter ego, My O'Malley, because in my own life, I don't, I'm not like him. He's a lot braver than I am. So, you know, you see a lot of artists do it with, like, Ziggy Stardust or Lady Gaga and people like create like these alter egos to like allow themselves the freedom to really step through any fear or lack of self-worth that maybe they've gone through in different trials and tribulations in their life. So I kind of used him as a vehicle to say, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to heal hell hell or high water. And hopefully other people that need to as well can go along for the ride. If I pull it off. So I didn't know if it was going to work, you know, a lot of this was very experimental,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, I, uh, so kind, kind of, uh, kind of based off of that, what, what you just said, do you feel like you may revisit a, a character or maybe even, uh, similar to, or maybe even Maya himself? Do you yes. ever feel like you may revisit him? Yes, <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> Yes, actually. <laughs> if I'm if i absurd enough to do another film, and one thing that's funny is by the time I finish this, like music, everything is streaming, so it's been hard finding my audience mm-hmm. with the Golden Age because there's so much stuff out there, and I released it during COVID, and not many people probably knew about it. I've been, you know, sponsored marketing ads and try to find people to get it, mm-hmm. and I really stand behind it. I think it will move and change the culture when when it gets under, you know, their skin, um, and it may take a while, And um, but I believe in it, you know, and, um, and I'm just kind of taking it one step at a time. But if I make another film again, I'm thinking about kind of taking my O'Malley in a different direction, but making even more of like an offering to my gurus from the East or more about like, even like now that he's healed a little bit, you know, I can dip back into some of the old storylines, but now we're kind of moving in a different context to see like zooming out now, taking the wider angle of like what it means to Mm -hmm. be like a soul moving through this earth. And. And, and what it means to uh, to kind of maybe inspire the next generation of of potential pitfalls that they can avoid in the way that, you know, I've had to walk through the fire of, of a little bit. So the, the problem with making a film is just, it's so much work and it's so much time and money. And in this day and age, mm-hmm. it seems like everyone's so absorbed with their own stuff or social media that I'm not sure it's, if people have the attention span to slow down and watch it. And I hope they will because I think independent film especially when you're working in like more substantive themes like this, or a theme that's cathartic in some regard that we're all kind of going through. And that's why I think it's so important for people to see it because we've all been through our own wounds. Nobody gets out of here alive or hasn't got to walk through some fire. But I hope that, um, I hope that it resonates with people in that regard because, um, and I'll do another one if I'm crazy enough to do one, but it just takes so much energy. And I hope that people, will make room for these kind of stories even though we're living in an age of distraction because i think film has the power and potential far more than any other art form because it hits so many different senses you know you're you're dealing with a three-act structure story there's the lighting there's the camera angles there's the acting or performance there's music you know it's like there's so many so many intangibles that you can't really encapsulate with like a song or an album or Mm -hmm. a podcast or a on stage in a play you know it's like it's just different so i'm, I'm we'll see what happens it's just it's a lot of work so I'll, if i if my o'malley shows up again um i'll let you know but it, I'm, I'm still it's in it's in the germination like uh gestation phase
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah
0: yeah i i do agree with you you know film is is one of those beautiful art forms that is unlike anything else right and, and i feel like your depiction of my o'malley is great because I, as a fan, a major fan of music, you know, I work in radio and and everything constantly involved with music. And as a musician myself, um, someone who is a nerd as well and loves to watch uh, different music documentaries and such, it it was really great to see this depiction of a musical, you know, rockumentary and everything. And I've seen similar things um, things that are simply fictional and things that are non-fictional based in this format. But it was really great to kind of see this collaborative effort that isn't 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 really fictional, but it isn't not fully non-fictional either, right? As you said, there are things that really did happen to you that really are affected, maybe happen to others you're around or you know has happened before. But then there are also things... That you know go with the character and go with the music and the mood and everything, and mm-hmm. I think that is so important when it comes to any art form, but especially a a film, especially a uh, a film based on a rock star, right? Mm-hmm. And and I loved I loved uh, and we yeah I do want to get to the music real quick too. You mentioned kind of you really try to make the best singer songwriter you know soundtrack of all time, and, and I feel like. You know, there's also a level where it's like, is will there ever be a best of singer songwriter soundtrack of all time? You know, <laughs> and, and I and I think that's I think that's a, a very rhetorical question, um, yeah, really. but I also think it's a great it's a great direction to point yourself towards. And I have to say, like, I really enjoyed um, I enjoyed the kind of the rhyming style that you had in your songs, and I really enjoyed just kind of the way the songs took shape throughout mm. the film. I mm. felt like um, with the different cut scenes where, you know, there are one and one scene you're in the studio and you're singing and next thing you know, it maybe we have this beautiful landscape of outdoors or maybe it's um, maybe you're, you're doing something else in the, in the film, but here you are still singing and you go right back to the studio where you're just playing the piano and you're howling. And it like, it's really important right and and i feel like it kind of creates a different perspective towards the film and towards the story that you're trying to create if that makes sense i feel like um i feel like it it doesn't it's not just a film anymore and it's not just a story you're trying to tell but it's you portraying a side of you as you said as myo o'malley is is a lot braver than you would ever be right um it's portraying a different side of you so yeah there are parts of it that are, that are fictional there are parts of it that are non-fictional but i also think it's a great story to start telling for yourself as yeah. well and, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to the book and otark and i are both looking forward toward the uh, to the book as you are able to really expand on, mm-hmm. on more things and then more personal things as well and, and i feel that um when it comes to what you were trying to depict from what i've understood so far in the show. And also from what I just understood as a viewer, um, I feel like you did a terrific job and it, you know, to, to, uh, as someone who is now reviewing the, (laughs) the film on the podcast, I, I will say it is, it's a process, right? It is not going to hook you right away, but it is a great film and you are going to go through a mix of emotions. And Mm. you are going to listen to different characters and you're going to get different opinions on Maya. And then right close about the last 30 minutes, you really get to know Maya himself Mm. as Maya gets to know himself. And I think, and I told you this before the show, Justin, I think that is the most important part of the film is because you get to know Maya, he gets to know himself and then Somehow, some way, you're kind of getting to know yourself at the same time. I
1: totally agree. And and when you say about what's real and what's fake with it, like, I don't even know because so much of it is relative to my own life, but some of Mm -hmm. it is satirical, but played even more real than the stuff that's real. So it's kind of a mishmash. You know, I'm kind of like having a play with, like, I don't know what's real or what's fake in life at all either. And, you know, in regards to the music, I think a lot of it, it had to be like, it had to be like, you know, there's parts of the songs where it's almost like spoken spoken word, you know? And it had to be so real that this isn't about like, hey, I'm trying to sing a song to impress you of me singing a song. It was more like being truth to like the narrative arc of that the song is helping to fill as it's going down. And one of the things like with music as a musician, like I, I really haven't done any music videos. And the only reason I haven't is because it's fake, you know, like people are lip syncing. So there's something about in this film, You know, what you talk about going to nature and then coming back to the studio. And there's something about a three-act structure where you can like tell a story for a film for a song that means more because you see them doing it in real time, A, and B, it's in the context of a much larger scope. And I and I hope, and I've seen inklings of it. You know, we see like Beyonce with Lemonade and different, you know, artists trying to play around with like more of a different way of telling a story than just like a music video but even those they're all like lip sync so it kind of takes me out of it but i think there's so much potential now for music and story to intertwine in a way that supersedes how we normally ingest music you know like for me i i want to just i don't know if i could ever do a music video unless i'm singing live on camera because there's an in inauthenticity or an element of it being sort of fake that it just doesn't resonate deep enough for me, so I think that was one of the credos of this whole thing was make sure that this is so real that by the end I don't even know what's real and fake. And here I am, the creator of it. I don't even know how much I even had to do with it. I did like so many roles, you know, writing, directing, producing, starring, all of it. But it's like I don't even know how much I even I had to do with it. It was sort of like I was just a conduit to something much greater than I can even understand. And so it was even more important that I take my ego out of it and really like just act as a conduit to telling the best story in a different contextual light than just play and pretend and really try to knock people in the gut in the same way that you know stories that are so real like we've talked about music documentaries like they knock in the gut because it's real it's like well the golden age is real too as much as any other film narrative or documentary is i don't even know it was more important to be so present every time in front of the camera that I can't even tell the difference. And I think that may be what we need now because there's so much artifice that we can't tell the difference. And we're like entertaining ourselves to death with with, with themes that don't really have any kind of um, like overlaying or, or um, lasting substance.
0: You know, I think you mentioned a good point earlier tied into what you just said. And, you know, this having this art that doesn't really have a whole lot of substance. And I think at the same time, you're in a you're in a society right now where things are so fast paced things are constantly moving things as you mentioned earlier right and things are on such a short time span right mm-hmm. it's like Quick. okay you have 5 seconds to tell your story oh, yeah. go
1: yeah exactly Wait, what
0: you're exactly. up next person
1: <laughs> i know and i don't want to say this like in a way that like oh my ego or i'm ahead of the game but i think the golden age is, is definitely ahead of I don't want to say ahead of its time but it's like it's a little bit of an, in a genre or it's in a it's in a day and age right now that's so fast that mm-hmm. it's like I think it's in the wrong era a little bit and I think this will catch up to people in a, in a in a different way in which films normally do just because we're so used to seeing things so sharp and quick and fast and this takes you on a different journey so I think as we begin to slow down as a culture this will gravitate in the hearts and ears and eyes of different people in a different context. But like, I actually like that. It's not in conjunction with like, how stories are being told in that sharp, fast pace, because Mm -hmm. I think that's what we need more of more than anything right now is just to slow down and get back to our breath and take in a real story, you know, a story that like, you can't tell this quickly, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe we're all moving a little too fast these days. So I don't want to say it's ahead of its time, but it feels like it's in the wrong era, of sorts. But that's okay. I really had to trust that this was the story that needed to be told for myself in the context and tone in which I did, and I think people will gravitate to it when they're looking to. Um, and it might be con- confronting for a lot of people to um, reflectively take a peek at some of their own junk, you know, their own wounds. It's not. Some I've I've heard from some people that like, this is this is a hard to hot watch for some of it, but I think. That's what we need, you know. I think I don't think we need just rosy stories anymore. That are sharp and fast and quick and look slick. It's like sometimes it, it's good to look dirty and move slow and kind of sit in the muck to see how much we're doing that in our own life and how much we want to do it after the the show wraps, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, I feel that um, you know we're just in a point. Right now with society, everything that has happened and occurred over the past five to ten years, and especially throughout the pandemic, we're at a point now where, yes, things are fast-paced. Things are constantly moving. And I also feel like it's it's just gotten to the point where things are here and then, and then gone. And I wouldn't even necessarily say fast, but just – Disposable. It's – Yeah. Disposable. That's a great word. That's kind of what I was trying to find. You know, something that you could easily just kind of throw away as if we cared for a few seconds and we don't or if we ever really cared at all. And that's what's so ironic about art, especially film, is that in music and any type of art, really, um, we're not creating it so it can have five seconds in the spotlight. Right. We're not necessarily creating it for it to have any m- moments in the spotlight, but we're all, we're not creating it to only be you know have a glance at for a little bit. We're we're creating it because it's art. It's mm-hmm. something that's beautiful and creative and and supposed to be timeless, right? And so again, you know, no matter if you cre- no no matter if you made a film in the 1940s compared mm-hmm. to making a film in 2021 or releasing an album in the 1960s compared to releasing an album in the 2010s it doesn't matter you're right. creating it for that lasting effect you're creating it for that that beauty of art and what yeah. it means to the artist that is releasing it and putting it out there in the world and so with you know with a film like the golden age i think it's a perfect title for it as well because it yeah. shows and the ending to me is a great way to show like, okay, here we are creating something that is kind of this golden, uh, golden color, right? Mm. But we're also creating this timeless thing, Mm. hence the age, right? And you know, age sometimes can be referred to as something that um, is actually ending, right? It's kind Mm -hmm. of a construct of sorts. It's it's uh limited is the word I'm trying to find. Uh, but I feel like tied in with golden, it's no longer limited, but rather kind of given this, this uh, ability to just expand.
1: Well, it's kind of like a, just to chime in on the golden age, it's a little bit of a double entendre. I think the golden age is sort of like the golden years of like, you know, we're looking back retrospectively at his past, but it's more in relation to um, some of the teachings from the East um, we live in these different yugas. We're in like the fourth installment of human civilization, which is called Kali yuga, and within Kali yuga, and that's like the Iron Age of the Age of Distraction. Hence, what we've talked about about having things moving so fast and etc. So, the Golden Age. There's like a period within this yuga where people start readdressing how attached they are to their things, or seeing themselves beyond this material construct. So there's a golden age within it, which is like this age of enlightenment. And we see it in so many different contexts from the sixties and seventies, starting like Mm -hmm. veganism, yoga, or people are starting to expand or think differently, et cetera. And it takes time. And now we're kind of moving into the forefront of this. So this period lasts for like thousands, you know, like 10,000 years, supposedly, and we're like at the precipice of it. So that was kind of in relation to it, but it's also like, you know, Maya's letting go of this old wound instead of like, wallowing in it he's looking to shed it in regards to his devotional path to like circumvent it or uh, expand through it and past it through this golden age or through devotion by the end of the film so that's what it's really in reference to and i think I, if anything when you were saying like it was like an ending i almost think of it as like the opposite it's like the golden age we're like at the beginning of something we're at the beginning of our own healing process the beginning mm-hmm. of our own individual and collective devotional path we're moving in a different construct where we have to address analyzing and letting go of these things that haven't served us before in this age of distraction. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of where it came from um, in that regard, I guess.
0: I I think um, the ending, I I think I I meant more of just like the ending of the film itself, but uh, I I do, I do agree with you though, that it's, it's kind of, like I said, I think the last 20 to 30 minutes are by far my favorites of the film um, because you are led on this journey of not only uh, getting to know Maya and Maya, Maya getting to know himself, but also kind of getting to know yourself in a way. Mm, and sure. um, and and I think I think with any art, it's it's just great to be given a chance to do that, you know, being able to learn something new. And so uh, kind of going off of the film Golden Age, now you have a book coming out now as well called A uh, Memoir, A Day in the Lies. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure, sure. So like I said, in a film, you know, you got 100 minutes to tell people the story and you can only get so intricately involved in some respect. (sighs) The book has been a pound of flesh. And, you know, I I started doing it right nearing the release of it and given that everything's streaming, I'm like, I should write a book with this because I I felt like even though I went through this whole journey of doing this film for like almost a decade, if not more, I felt like there was still more to tell because I wasn't really getting honest in the way of this really long, expansive story of um, surviving a lot of trauma. And you can only get really in depth with that when you write like a book, you know I mean? So I've been working on that and I'm getting near the end of it and it should be out probably this fall, but uh, A Day in the Lies, it's, uh, you know, in reference to uh, the Beatles, A Day in the Life, you know, which is that long that, um, uh, song they have. And it was kind of like, you know, homaging the Beatles who got me through some very difficult times in my life in the intro. and and I basically tell the whole story. And what's funny in the film, it's like you see that the father's like the antagonist where he was abusive and et cetera. But, you know, I also had this crazy relationship with my mom, too. It's sometimes like both parents have their own thing. And I and I bless them and I forgive them both. And, you know, mm-hmm. they had a certain skill set. That generation was very concerned about the appearances of others. And they couldn't really get in touch with their emotions. And I think that's like apropos of a lot of our parents from that generation. So I I tried in this book to like give uh, a respectful dissertation of what I had been through and showing my love and affection for them even while I was punished by being their child and as well as humorous stuff about, you know, being in Hollywood and working at this nightclub while I was making my way or managing an apartment building like the chaos of like material life, but it all leads you similar to the golden age to, you know, his devotional path going to India and taking an initiation with the guru there. And so it's like, it's got a really sweet story to it, but I was able to tell more in a book than I ever could have in a film. And that's why I took it a little bit deeper. And uh, I think people who are fans of the film will go, will get a much deeper aspect with the book. Like the film is sort of like the macro version, a wide angle. And then, you know, they go into the book and it's like, oh, well, there's so much more to Maya's story. Mm-hmm. You know, so much more.
0: I do feel when it comes to, well, we've talked about it before. You know, when it comes to a book, um, words are able to describe so much, right? Obviously, emotions and lighting and actions and everything can really describe a lot. But when it comes to a book, you know, you're putting words on a page in pages, right? And you're able to put so much into it. And to me, I I actually find it um, as, A someone who likes to write and as a a big reader as as I am, I actually find it really fascinating that a book can include so much detail. You know, when when we have books that are then made into films, a lot of people will kind of be like, well, why couldn't we put that huge detail into the film? It's like, like, here's the book, you know, And, and you're kind of seeing that the opposite way. Like you created a film and then you're looking at, you know, reading the book. And you're mm-hmm. like, wow, I can do so much more in a book. And, you know, it's it's that same, just vice versa, where it's like, I can't do as much in a film that will necessarily relay the same way. But I can expand on this feeling more in the film. Or I can expand on that storyline
1: storyline more in, in, in the film compared to the book, you know? Yeah, and there's a lot of people who, like, when they read a book and then they see the film, they're always like, oh, my God, the book was so better and the film was a piece of crap because they were able to go so much deeper in the context of a book. But the reason why I think a book is important for a lot of audience members is they become almost like the director, the producer of the film in the book in the sense that it allows your imagination to walk with the words and with the character and take a different journey than you would otherwise get by watching a film where I'm like kind of dictating where I want to lead you. And secondarily, the the difference between a day in the Lies and a lot of the books that are based on a film is this isn't told in like a three act structure that mirrors the Golden Age by any stretch of the imagination. It's a memoir of Maya O'Malley, and and even more so than in the film, I this alter ego was so important with the book because I really got like gangster real with the the in, like the topics in the in the book that were way more real than they were in like the film. So it was even more paramount that I told this memoir of my life through Maya O'Malley because it was way too confronting and painful and revealing to get into it. But so, you know, a lot of people that watch like Eat, Pray, Love and they love the book and then they watch the film like, oh, it was good, but it wasn't that good. So I'm not like doing a book, like it's a three-act structure. This is more like you're getting Maya's journal while on tour during his life as a musician. And you're getting like a deeper glimpse at like what was really going on outside the film itself. So it's more of an accompaniment than a reflective hue of a three-act structure, which I thought was more interesting because if you do a three-act structure, the way, you know, you go then shoot a film, it's like you're setting yourself up to go down because 90% of the time, every book that you read is so much more viscerally potent than the film because you as the reader is, allowed are allowed to kind of be the director you get to imagine what it's like while they're talking about it whereas in the film it's more dictatorial so so i'll be curious how people respond to it um and i think it's a great accompaniment for those that enjoy the film it allows them to go deeper and then and uh, i think it'll it'll heal people even i think even more than the film just because of how reflectively honest it is and there's a much more to the story than i could ever have fed in the golden age, if that makes sense. You know, when you're writing a memoir, you're getting really honest and saying, this is what happened. Whereas in a film you're saying, these are glimpses. This is a, this is like a cliff notes of what happened. Now I'm like saying, okay, here we are. And uh, sometimes I think it's good for people to read that because it allows them a different intimacy than like having a director or producer kind of guide them where they want to go within, you know, a, a visual and audio, you know, Perspective, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and, and I'm really excited to read the book. And so, uh, we'll definitely uh, try to get you back on, you know, later yeah. when, later on when you when you do release that book, we'll, we can really dive into it, like we have the Golden Age, and we can talk more. And, and uh, you know, I, that's something that I was really I was really happy to kind of talk to you about a little bit more about the book. Um, when when you said that you've been doing so much work on it and everything, I was hoping we could we could kind of talk about it so that way we could kind of see you know what's to come. Especially with having to watch the film now, it's uh, you know watching the film and and kind of uh, analyzing it in different you know different ways, different views, lenses, sure. and then being able to then read the book and kind of see you know the similarities but also the differences. And it won't necessarily be I I, I don't believe it'll necessarily be like a oh let's review uh the book compared to the the movie because there really isn't yeah there there might be some comparison as you said but in reality here you really get to put it all out there right Mm -hmm. a day in the lies is what it's called if that doesn't speak for itself then i don't Mm -hmm. know what does you know And, and
1: yeah, when you're going through this stuff so having survived trauma it's like i thought it was a good title in relation to the beatles reference but it's more like you're living lies every day you know what i mean and it's so it's, it's more of an accompaniment and I think that's why it will help serve people. But like we were talking about earlier about artistic mediums, it doesn't really matter whether it's acting or music or this or that or the other. It's like a book is, is just a way to tool into people's subconscious in a different way that you can do with a film. And I think, I think it has more potency to heal sometimes just because it gets out of the way of trying to dictate what you should feel, you know? And, uh, it, and it, It's, I went through the ringer and there's just only so much you can tell in a film and I didn't realize it until I wrote the book. But what's funny, what I want to say about how artistic mediums, whether it's an actor or writer, director or editing a film or whatever, it's all different, but it's not different at all. Like editing the book, I have like a certain number of chapters and I realize, oh, I like this chapter. I like this, but it's not really fitting with the context and structure of the book in the same way I have like oodles of footage with the film that never made the cut because it wasn't as strong enough to tell the story that needed to be told. And you don't realize that until the final stages. So that's the stage that I'm at with the book right now is really getting honest about like, what's the through line? It's like, oh, he's healing through his devotional path. He's getting really honest about his wounds and telling some intersperses of what he had to go through while going through all that. So it's, it's, it's like the editing of scenes in a film. It's, it's very comparable to book. It's just, it's so much more laborious with words because you have to get really articulate and and specific and you can't you can't leave any fat in the same way you really can't in a film but you can get away with like leaving a little bit here and there with a book it's like you really have to be uberly concise because if you put keep leaving a piece of fat or something that's not helping to serve the piece of that three-act structure within the chapter let alone the chapters within the book it can detract the audience from not staying with you so i'm being very cognizant and present with that in the same way i did with the film but it's 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 a it's a different beast, even though it's the exact same process. If that makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I, I have to say thank you, Justin, for for coming onto the show and and talking oh, wow. to us about you you know about the Golden Age. By the way, check it out on Amazon Prime. Check it out. Uh, it really is great. Um, if if you're worried about time, it's not that long, <laughs> but yeah. it's it's a it's a great film, and there's so much there's so much to it. Um, and it's got so much depth, and, and I feel that uh, I was taken on a journey, and I hope that you are too when you watch it. So definitely all of our listeners our viewers, please um, get, give it a chance and, and, and go watch it. It's a, a great film. Of course, The Golden Age by Justin Connor. Of course, check out his book, released most likely later this year at Day in the Lies, a memoir. Uh, also written by Justin Connor. Very excited for that. I uh, will definitely be talking about it here on the identity podcast, but
1: thank you guys for watching and allowing to hit you. And you guys like uh, really responded to it in a, in a sweet way. So thank you.
0: Well, again, you know, thank you for giving us a chance to, to give you, a, you know, give this film a platform and to be able to talk about it and, and uh, allowing Tark and I to continue to add new lenses to who we are as people and, and being able to um just kind of, you know, Continue to learn from art and the beauty of art. Right, it's so vast and so beautiful, and so thank you for that. We greatly appreciate it. But uh, once again, you've been listening. The you've been listening and watching the Identity podcast. The Identity podcast. We're so grateful for you as always. Every single Wednesday, don't forget you can check us out at seven fifteen p.m. Eastern time, and of course on Thursdays. We have our podcast that goes live on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Of course, don't forget to follow us on social media at The Identity Podcast and check us out on all streaming platforms. And you can, if you love The Identity Podcast one want to sponsor us, well, guess what? You can. All, I have, all you have to do is email us at press at findyouridnyc.com and we'll get back to you with more details. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon page and our Discord page. Both of those links are in all of our bios on all of our social media pages. Via our link tree. And of course, don't forget to check out our link tree because that's where it contains all of our essentials for the show. So do not miss out. Check it out. There's lots of exciting stuff out there right now and coming to you soon for the identity podcast. Of course, this has been the silver screen featuring Justin Connor. Thank you again, Justin, for coming on. We're really grateful to have you. Uh, it's been Thanks a great discussion. Me. I feel like I've learned so much. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. It's so sweet. Yeah
0: well it's, it's been great to have you and of course as always thank you for listening and watching the identity podcast next week july 7th as we enter a new month we're just a month away from our one year anniversary of the identity podcast it's crazy to think it's come this far but we're so excited so check out july 7th the healing power of words featuring author and poet tetiana denford very excited to have her on based out of new york uh, just an incredible person Really excited to be able to talk about her story with words and writing as well. Again, you've been listening, watching the Identity Podcast. Thanks as always. I'm Caleb Lund, your co host, along, along with my fellow and lovely co host, Tarek. We're so grateful to have you. We'll catch you next week. Thanks.